There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Depression is more common than you may think. According to the World Health Organization, more than 264 million people worldwide experience depression. And there are a lot of different types of depression and the symptoms can vary among people, but The big question is, how do you know if your partner or someone is depressed or if they're just having a hard time? And what do you do about it? So today I'm answering all your questions and as always, giving you my top five tips and an amazing tool you can use right away to start some change. So stay tuned. I'm Dr. Abby Metcalf and I'm a number one Amazon bestselling author, TEDx speaker and all-around relationship maven with over 30 years of experience helping people create connected and happy relationships. Combining my hands-on experience and all the latest research, I've created actionable tips and tools you can apply quickly and easily to create lasting change in your relationship today. So let's get to it. You're here. I missed you. I'm happy we're together again. (sighs) I'm Dr. Abby Metcalf, and this is the Relationships Made Easy podcast, episode 106. What do you think about that? We are into the third season of the podcast. Uh, I'm excited about it. And I I was realizing the other day, I was talking to a client, and they were mentioning (laughs) that they had... um, would rather, I was giving them some homework and and uh, the client said, you know, I'd really rather, I, I wish you had like a video for this or, you know, instead of, they don't like to listen to podcasts so much and um, they don't like uh, to read so much, you know, they really want to have a video. And um, I've had other clients say, you know, I love your podcast, but I can't get my partner to listen. Um, do you have anything else? And, you know, I do have a YouTube channel and I'm going to link to it in the show notes and I call them connection quickies. So they're videos that are uh, 15 minutes tops, really. I try to keep them below that, but where I take information from what I teach, you know, so there'll be one for today. 
uh, what to do if your partner is depressed. And uh, I just sort of condense it. So obviously, it's not as rich and deep as what you get here on the podcast, but it's still a great way to consume information and to learn or maybe to have a refresher. It might be that sometimes you think, oh, I really love the podcast, but I don't want to listen to the whole thing again. And you can go over again and read the blog post on the webpage, on the website, or you can go over to my YouTube channel. So I will link to that. Uh, and you can watch my mug teach. Um, and they are uh, separate videos completely. It is not uh, something where I, you know, tape myself doing the podcast and then like scrunch it or take a piece out at all. It's actually a whole fresh thing I do um, where I really present the information differently again and condense it in a real way so that people can get a lot out of it. So there you have it, in case you didn't know about that. And of course, if you go over there, please subscribe. Uh, the more people that know about the YouTube channel, the better. Uh, you know, the more people will find out about it and the more will peace will create and all the goodness will happen. So uh, I'd really appreciate it. There you go. So let's get to it. You know, I don't like a lot of fluff in the beginning of my podcast. Um, <laughs> like to just get to it. So, okay. Now, so today is going to be tricky because I don't want you diagnosing your partner. <laughs> I really don't want you running around pretending that you have a Google degree in depression and mental health and suddenly you're a psychologist or a psychiatrist and telling people what meds they should take. So uh, I, I swear I have a lot of experience. I have a lot of education. That is how I'm coming at you. However, I really want to help you today in sort of differentiating between having a hard time and you know a partner who's sad, or again, a best friend. I'm gonna say partner a lot, but this could be a best friend, a parent, anybody really. Um, and uh, how to differentiate between like, they're just having a hard time, they're just sad versus they're actually depressed and something needs to happen. Because how you support someone when they're depressed is different in many ways than how you support them if they're quote unquote, just sad um, or just having a hard time. So I really want to lay those out for you. I'm going to, again, give you my top tips. I'm going to have a great giveaway today. I This today is going to be packed full of amazing information for you. So get ready, take notes, whatever you got to do. Uh, or again, you know, everything's already written for you if you want to come over to the, to the website. So first, what I want to do is talk about the difference between sadness and depression. And I'm going to use the word sadness to also talk about, you know, that's if your partner's having a hard time. So when you're dealing with your partner or anyone for that matter who seems depressed, the, that's the first thing you need to do is think through whether they're depressed or sad. Um, I'm not saying, again, you need to become a psychologist. Again, I recommend you don't start diagnosing everybody, but I want you to feel equipped to handle either situation, uh, you know, in at least a cursory way. So, um, and again, as I said, as you might imagine, what you're going to do you know, with someone you love who is sad is different than what I suggest you do with someone that's clinically depressed. So let's get into it. And I want to say first, so, and there's an easy way to tell the difference. There really is. Um, so sadness, having a hard time, sadness, that's a healthy, normal emotion. We generally get sad when something uh, challenging happens, when someone hurts our feelings or something's hurtful to us. That's when we get sad. So you know, it could be anything, right? The, the death of a loved one, um, moving from a town, you maybe, you, you know, you're going to, you know, maybe a job has changed. You have to move to a new town. You're really going to miss your friends or the people. Maybe you have a friend who moved away uh, and you're really feeling the loss of that person being in your life. Maybe you lost a job or you maybe you had a nasty fight with your partner. All these things can make us sad. Um, sometimes I'm sad that my max has a hard time in school, right? 
So the deal with sadness is that you feel it about something that has happened. Uh, an event or a situation outside yourself. Something happened and then you have this feeling. Um, and as you resolve whatever happened or, you know, that phrase, time heals all wounds, right? As time passes, your sadness will subside. It'll go away. Depression is not a healthy, normal emotion. Okay. So depression is different. Uh, and we throw around that word a lot, which makes me crazy. Uh, <laughs> we throw it around pretty easily these days. And we're usually talking about sadness, not depression when we say that. But uh, true depression is a mental illness. And it affects, it actually affects how you think and perceive the events and people in your life. So we become sad about a thing. We become depressed and then feel sad about everything. Okay, so it's different. It, and depression doesn't actually need any external thing to happen to be triggered. Nothing has to happen out there to be triggered. Now, sometimes people can be sad a long time and that can trigger depression. But in general, um, uh, you know, you can have someone who objectively or on paper, their life is great. There's nothing to be depressed about or sad about. They've got a great job, a uh, loving partner. Maybe there's a new baby. You know, they've got their health, whatever. You know, they have a nice car to drive, whatever. You're looking at their life and it's like, wow, why would that person be unhappy? Um, but you can have all this and still feel like poop. Uh, like you can't even see what you've got. You can't get past it. So uh, when someone's sad, we can give them um, time, encouragement, and this generally heals the sadness. So enough time, some encouragement, some you know all the all the all the lovey love underneath there. But when someone is depressed, doing those same things not only doesn't work, but it can actually worsen the situation. And so again, these are sort of the ways you can tell if uh, you have someone in your life and there's no objective like really bad thing that happened and you realize that they feel this way about kind of everything. So no matter what the situation is, they sort of feel that way. When someone's sad, like let's say someone died and you're feeling really sad about it, you might still get some um, pleasure out of, you know, a good meal. You know, you might forget for a moment and enjoy your meal. You might uh, have a TV show that makes you laugh a little uh, and takes you out of your, your grieving for a moment. With depression, that doesn't happen. There's kind of no coming out of it. You know, it's just, matter of fact, the meal doesn't taste as good. It's like, bleh, uh, the TV show wasn't as fun. You might not even want to watch anymore. Um, so, uh, and I'll tell you, so I had a client, I was, I was, when I was, when I was writing this up, you know, and researching and doing what I do, I was thinking, I had this client last year who was very sad. Her mom had passed and she and her mom were super close. And my client relied on her mother heavily for, you know, emotional support. She thought of her mother as her best friend. And um, her mother had moved, this client was in her late thirties, um, The you know, had three kids. The mom would help, you know, had moved closer uh, to be nearer to her, um, her dad had died when she was, uh, I think, 17 or 18. So, you know, she and her mom really became a unit in a lot of ways. And her her sadness over her mom's passing was lasting a long time. And I was actually worried that it could turn into a depression because she was finding it difficult to go back to work or care for her own kids. Uh, a couple months after her mom's death, she had just really checked out in a lot of ways. And I was getting really concerned. Um, and 
I did a very unpsychologist seeming thing <laughs> with her because again, I have years of experience and a lot of degrees and all that good stuff. And I was very sure that the grieving was, something else was happening was getting triggered off this grieving that I didn't think was a good thing. And I, I kind of told her to snap out of it. I gave her, you know, uh, what we call a come to Jesus talk, you know, a very firm talking to about needing to move on. You know, she had to take care of herself, her kids. I told her she could and would continue to grieve. Of course, of course, grieving isn't like a thing that just stops, but this was no excuse to check out of her life. She was abandoning her kids, her partner, kind of even herself. And for sure, her mother would never have wanted this um, ever. And it just wasn't good. So I know that sounds sort of harsh, but it, it actually worked, which I kind of thought it would. She, it's like she needed that proverbial slap across the face and she sort of woke up, kind of woke up and was like, oh my God, what am I doing? You're right. My mother would hate this, da, da, da. Now I'm not saying it all got perfect right after that, but it really shifted and changed to, you know, so that the grieving could take a component of her life and not be the center of her life. So, but if she had been depressed, clinically depressed, that would have been disastrous. That would have been the absolute wrongest, is wrongest a word, thing to do. <laughs> um, it, it likely would have made her more depressed. So I really want to separate you know, these things out for you so you can understand that it's really important that you don't... Uh, you know, just sort of make up your mind easily about this stuff and you really think it through a little bit. So that's why I'm trying to help today with this. So you can really have a better idea of, uh, you know, so that you can get in line to say the right thing, so to speak. So most people make choices. Most people can make choices about being happier and they can make cho choices about what they focus on. That's most people. Uh, someone who's clinically depressed and untreated does not have those same choices in the same way because literally the brain is working differently. So we say things like happiness is a choice a lot, and I actually, <clears throat> excuse me, believe that's true quite a bit, but it's not always true. It, it The only thing place it's not true is when folks are literally clinically depressed. So much like, you know, you couldn't, tell someone who has, I don't know, juvenile diabetes to snap out of it and, you know, hey, just make your pancreas work again. Come on. <laughs> we also can't do this with depression. And sadly, we, we don't tend to treat mental health issues with the same compassion and thoughtfulness that we treat physical issues. Uh, I've seen this for years in my work, uh, you know, people struggling with, for example, um, alcohol and substance abuse. There's this idea that they can just stop it or, you know, you must not love me if you don't stop. <clears throat> this is completely discounting the fact that substance use disorder is a brain disease. It is absolutely brain disease. The brain is, has literally been hijacked. So like treatment or intervention of some kind is necessary if someone's going to really recover. Um, and it's harder with this brain stuff because we can't see it. We can't see it. <laughs> you can see physical things on people when there's a physical problem, but when there's a brain problem, it's harder. And we think people, I don't know, are acting like victims or looking for attention. We label it in all kinds of different ways. And I'm not saying no one ever is doing that, but it's it's not the same. And or we think, well, I just stopped drinking, so you know, you can too, or this is all in your head. You know, you've got to just stop thinking this way. We say a lot of stuff that's really not nice, not compassionate, and not true. Uh, because again, there are different degrees of illness and even depression. There's uh, you know, we 
we talk about depression when we're really diagnosing, we there's different kinds of depression. First of all, there's many, but then even in that, there can be mild, uh, moderate, and severe. There can be recurrent. There can be you know, there's all these different kind of what we call modifiers on them on the diagnosis. So you're depressed. You could be depressed, but it's very different than someone else's depression. Um, so I want you to. Uh, keep that in mind too, that you can't just say, oh, or I took Prozac, just take Prozac, it'll be fine. I hear people do that all the time. And again, not the way to go. There really are people with degrees who do this. Please, please, please let us do, let us do our jobs. Okay. So with sadness, you might feel, you know, down in the dumps for a day or two, but you're still able, like I said, to enjoy uh, some simple things, you know, this spending maybe even spending time with friends for a moment, um, a TV show, whatever. This isn't the case with depression. And and one of the big things you look for is people who are depressed don't enjoy activities they once enjoyed. They no longer find them pre- pleasurable or interesting. That's really common. It's common with drug addiction too. Um, and what's so and what's more, when you experience sadness, triggered by whatever it is, you know, a certain something, you're still able usually to sleep as you would, um, maybe not initially, but you kind of can get back to that. Uh, you remain motivated to do things. You can go to work. You can do things usually. Um, and, you know, you still want to eat. Uh, sometimes you want to eat more. Depression is always associated with a, you know, true depression, clinical depression with a a real disruption, a serious disruption of normal eating, normal sleeping, you know, your normal patterns. Uh, Maybe you don't want to get a bed, get out of bed at all, you know, during the day. Um, And with sadness, you might feel regret or remorse for something you said or did, but there's not a, 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 you don't experience like a permanent sense of worthlessness or guilt. And with depression, you often do. So I'm hoping you can really see these differences and really see what I'm talking about. Um, and it's really one of the features, you know, how we diagnose depression is this kind of uh, negative self-thought patterns, you know, putting ourselves down, being harsh. So, um, and really, and one thing I can say for sure is that when people are sad, they don't, they're not suicidal or getting into self-harm in some way. That's, that's really one of the biggest differences right there. Um, and obviously with someone who has severe depression, they can have thoughts of self-harm, death, suicide, they have a plan, all that. Um, so let's talk about, so there's a, there's, these are these differences <clears throat> that you might see and notice. Sorry about my coughing. Um, <laughs> when you're looking at, I don't edit. Did you know that? I don't edit these podcasts. What you see is what you get, or what you hear is what you get. Here, I'm sipping water. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So I stopped coughing at you. There we go. So what is depression? I do want to, I'm going to talk to you about the real things that, that, uh, uh, how you know if someone's depressed. And it's, again, a very serious and pretty common what we call mood disorders. There's different kinds of disor- mental health disorders. There's thought disorders. There's mood disorders. There's personality disorders. This is a mood disorder, as you might imagine, depression, your mood. Um, and, I, you know, obviously the biggies are that people who are depressed have these kind of persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness. So, uh, but here in us, us therapy folk, we use this... Um, book, which I've mentioned before in the podcast, called the the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And every mental disorder you can imagine is in there from autism to depression to narcissism to you name it. It's in it's it's in there. And uh and what and what you do is you would like go to that page in the book, you know, uh you'd look up uh depression and depressive disorder and you would look and there's all these symptoms and uh, there's always these kind of caveats, like with depressive disorder, you have to have the symptoms for a minimum, you have to have at least five of them for a minimum of two weeks. Um, and you really should have symptoms one or two. One of the top two I'm going to mention, you should have one of those. Um, and there's eight that are uh, that I want to talk about, so um, that are in the book. So again, I don't want you like diagnosing necessarily, but you can have a good uh idea from what I'm going to say, and then we can talk about the tips for how to get people into treatment and all that, or get people an intervention of some sort. And this can be an intervention itself. You can say, hey, I listened to Abby's podcast. She mentioned all these things, and you hit all of them. I'm really concerned, right? There you go. So uh, number one is a depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day. Boom. That's uh, one of the symptoms of depression. Number two is markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities most of the day, nearly every day. So again, there's these eight things I'm about to say, but having one of these, so maybe they're you're, the person you're looking at, you know, your best friend or your partner, they're not depressed most of the day, all day, but they're just not interested in anything. They are not, because they might be one of those people who puts on a happy face, even though they're not, but they're really not engaging in activities they used to like. You know, they used to love to play the piano. They used to love to go for walks. They, they don't want to do any of that anymore. So really, you're looking for one of these to for sure be there, and then some more of these, okay? So the number three is significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain or decrease or increase in appetite nearly every day. So basically you're having a major change in appetite of some way and in weight. Some people are depressed and gain weight, some people are depressed and lose weight. You, you, you don't know, but there's a real difference in how they approach food. Number four is a slowing down of thought and a reduction of physical movement. Um, observable by others, not merely subjective feelings of restlessness or being slowed down. So again, you know, when we're diagnosing people, sometimes people come in and go, oh, I don't want to move. I don't want to do anything. But it's, you know, we'll ask like, well, has your, has your uh, wife complained about that? Has your, you know, 
daughter complained about that. We'll ask what people have complained about. Has that come up at work? You know, to sort of see if it's just something they're thinking because they're in this negative or, or negative state or if it's actually something that's happening. Um, but we, you know, they start to really, the world starts to close in and there starts to be this withdrawal from things that's very um, noticeable. Uh, the next one is fatigue or loss of energy nearly every day. You know, just this real difficulty. It's like uh, a lot of times they describe it as moving through molasses, this feeling of literally kind of pushing through molasses every day. Number six is feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt. Again, nearly every day. Um, so it's not an occasional of that. It's like all the time. It's just sitting there all the time. Number seven is diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness nearly every day. And number eight is recurrent thoughts of death, uh, suicidal ideation, um, and that could be without a specific plan or with a plan or a, or a suicide attempt or, again, a specific plan for committing suicide. So any of that, when we see those, we really start to go, oh, you know, what's there? there's something here. And so you can think of that right off the top, you know, of your head about that. Um and again, to be diagnosed, they need to have at least five of these eight symptoms. So of the eight things I mentioned, there should be at least five for a period of at least two weeks. And again, the first and the second one should be, one of those should be there. Um, and so really we're looking for symptoms that cause uh, your your partner, your husband, your wife, your whoever, um, to have a significant impairment in their functioning, you know, school, work, parenting, partnership, relationships, you're going to see significant impairment. Um, and I do want to say that these also, whatever this is, can't be due to something else. So you can have a lot of this because you are an alcoholic. <laughs> you Depression goes right along. You, you're going to have a lot of this stuff. You, uh, losing interest in things you previously like to do, that's actually one of the um, one of the DSM kind of uh, uh, symptoms that is listed for substance use disorder. So one of the things that's really important is to uh, rule out, we call it ruling out, uh, a physical, it could be a physical problem that's happening that's creating this. Uh, and it could, again, it could be some other kind of diagnosis, whatever that is, um, physical or mental that's creating this. So th that, that part's really important too, that that gets sort of um, filtered out. And I really want to talk about one of the more, I think, common symptoms of depression that's missed a lot, and that's angry outbursts. I see that all the time. Um, so I think we tend to think of depression only in terms of someone being really sad and quiet and withdrawn. Um, they're all discouraged. But there can also be this agitation, this rage, this extreme anxiety, these angry outbursts or, you know, the the, the flash, you know, when they flash, the flashes of anger um, or angry mood. They're, they're very common in depressed people. It's one of the more common things I see. And so, and I'm not sure, I used to not, you know, years and years ago, I've been at this over 30 years. It wasn't as common. It's sort of interesting, the anger. Maybe I didn't notice it as much because we weren't trained to look for it as much. I'm not sure, but I definitely see it a lot more now. So there you have it. These are all the ways that sadness is different than depression. The, these are the symptoms of depression that we're looking for. And so if you 
you know, so hopefully that took care of the first thing. Is your partner just having a hard time or are they depressed? And a lot of this, you would do the same for hard time or depressed, <laughs> I think. Um, but you always want to err on the side of depressed really, right? Because that will help the most. But I'll, I'll kind of, I'll feather out what the differences are as we move along. But let's say that you're dealing with a depressed uh, partner. So what are the top five things you should do? Let's talk about those and how they're a little different if they're just having a hard time or sad. So the first one is get thee to a doctor. That's my first tip. Uh, a doctor visit is first and foremost. It really is. And making an appointment with a trained mental health professional would be best. That's what we want. Psychiatrist, psychologist, uh, master's level, you know, person. Um, and I just want to, you know, say again that a psychiatrist is an MD, a medical doctor. This is someone who went all through medical school, did all the same things that your regular, you know, primary care physician would have done. Um, but then they specialized in psychiatry um, and so went a different route. And so psychiatrists can prescribe medications. They can. They're the only really ones that can prescribe medications in this group. Psychologists like me cannot prescribe medications, but we went to school with different specialty, right? Um, we didn't go to medical school. We have a lot of schooling though. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for us, we've done usually a study or something. That's the dissertation part. That's the big research part. We're usually very research oriented folks. Um, and uh, we, you know, have uh, sort of specialized in the counseling aspect, the the clinical psychology or counseling psychology aspect of it. And uh, then there's, uh, you know, uh, social workers, um, marriage and family therapists, people at the master's level, also excellent. Um, you know, it's not about the degree often a person has, unless you need someone to prescribe. So you have to have the psychiatrist, the MD. It, to me, it's really about the experience they have and how good they are. Um, I feel like I was just as good as a master's level as I am at a PhD level. I, I did the PhD because it's something I wanted to do because I'm crazy. Um, but I really think, I believe I was very good as a master's level clinician. And so, uh, and I had a full practice then. So, you know, I don't want people to think, oh, a PhD is always better because it's not always better. Um, just like a psychiatrist isn't always better. Some psychiatrists um, are really good at really doing diagnosis and figuring out what someone has and really spending time and doing a thorough job and others really aren't. But I will say, do not, I'm going to repeat this, do not just go to your primary care physician and say you're depressed and have them just prescribe something. Uh, shout out to the primary care physicians out there, but I, I love you all, but I have to say, I don't like this. If you had worried you had cancer right? I think I have cancer. You would get sent to an oncologist every single time. This is a problem with our healthcare system here in the United States. Other countries, I don't believe have the same issue as I've talked to people in other countries, but here in the United States, you always, when you had a mental health problem, when I started in the field 30 years ago, you were always sent to a mental health professional, right? Because that's a specialist in this. But with the uh, advent of, you know, HMOs and PPOs and insurance companies not wanting to pay the higher rates, that is the issue. And I'm shouting out to you right now, and you can write me hate mail all you want, you, you, uh, <laughs> HMOs and insurance companies, but you know it's the truth. This didn't come, of course, from anything about, uh, anything other than saving money. And so, I am imploring you, do not go along. I, there's a lot of really good PCPs out there and they do a fine job, I guess, with this, but it is not 
their specialty. You want someone who specializes in this. This is a very serious diagnosis, like cancer. I don't understand why anybody is like, oh yeah, I went to my PCP 30 years ago and they threw me on whatever, Prozac, Alexa, Zoloft, and I've just been on it all this time. No. So <laughs> please see a, a person who can actually diagnose you and then someone who can prescribe the medications. Okay. I'm off my soapbox now for just a moment. But so now your partner might balk at this idea of going to see a mental health professional and then therefore then start with a PCP. Do start with your primary care physician to at least start. Because number one, you do want to rule out, like I mentioned earlier, any other issue if possible, if there's a medical problem. And then if they say, if they're worried, if that person says, yeah, you probably should have some antidepressant or whatever, then I would say, well, I want a referral to a specialist. They, they, they will give it to you if you push. So get the referral to the specialist at that point. Um, go with your partner to the appointments, help them manage their meds if needed. All this therapy, if someone is truly depressed, is emotionally exhausting. All this getting help and, you know, figuring out appointments and getting to the places. And if you can help and be of service, you know, and really, um, you know, support someone in this getting there, it would be great. Managing even simple appointments and medications can be really overwhelming for someone who is depressed, truly depressed. Uh, so, and- I know all this can be very hard if you're worried about being codependent. It is, and it is hard. I'm not going to lie to you. It's hard. I, uh, If someone is truly depressed, though, you might need to get the ball rolling and even be there to keep it rolling for a little while. If, again, if you're worried, speak to a healthcare provider yourself to make sure your boundaries are healthy and all that. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But just remember, you know, you can't fix your partner's depression. You can be supportive, patient, encouraging. Uh which is great. But if your partner is depressed, you might need to hold the hope until they can do it for themselves. I I often, if I have a really depressed client, will say that to them. I'm going to hold the hope for now. You know, until you until I can hand it to you, I'm going to hold it for you. And it's a relief in many ways for them. So having that line, I, I do, I have a, a whole podcast and blog posts and all that on being codependent and, and on my YouTube channel too. I'm being codependent. Uh, you can look there for that. But I'll, again, I'll talk more about that in a minute. But I really do want you to think about being helpful in the beginning at the very least as all this is getting figured out. Because if someone is truly clinically depressed, it's really overwhelming trying to navigate all this. Um, okay. Tip number two, make your home as healthy as possible. So whether your partner is depressed or sad, right? Creating a healthy home environment is beneficial to everybody. So it doesn't matter if they're depressed or sad. Uh, you, you really want to have this healthy environment for everyone. So things, you know, number one, keep to routines. If you don't have routines, this is a good time to start them. The safe, uh, create like, you know, I want you really to create a safe container of consistency, of limits, um, and that's helpful to anyone struggling, whether people are sad or depressed. Having that just consistency, that base that, you know, is really great. Um, eating as healthfully as possible is huge. Nutritious foods that don't disrupt the brain chemicals are really important here. Again, sad or depressed, it doesn't matter. That's a good way to go. Uh, to feel, you know, you eat junk food, you eat like crap, you feel like crap. So either way, you don't want that. Having regular meal times, making sure the food is as healthy as possible, not keeping junk food in the house right now. You know, these are simple, easy things you can do to just shore up the environment. Uh, if there's an easy way, any way to get exercise in, that would be amazing. Really good for sadness and depression. 
you know, offer a walk after dinner, you know, a bike ride or a hike in the we- on the weekend, even if your partner won't maybe say, uh, you know, walk, take a walk in the city, go window shopping, see if they'll do that. It doesn't feel like exercise, but it's still out. It's moving. It's movement. It's wonderful. Anything like that would be great. And then, you know, again, related to this is just getting out of the house. Uh, even if it's a car ride, it's better that, you know, put the car windows down. If you have, if you could put the top down in your car, you're really good. Uh, it's just better than being home at home all the time. Try for fresh air wherever possible. Uh, if your partner won't hike, maybe they'll sit with you at the beach or by a lake or wherever you can go that's, you know, on a mountaintop, I don't know, or a mountain bottom. <laughs> but really think of these things. It's real. It's truly a time to kind of shore up the home life and create as stress-free an environment as possible. You know, that consistency, that calmness, that new... Think of just being nutritious on every level there, not just food, right? Really... Um, something that really sustains and nourishes. Think of nourishing. Maybe that's a better word. Number three, uh, my third tip is help help with disputing negative thoughts. So remember, if your partner is depressed, their brain has been hijacked and they're having a hard time thinking clearly. So you want to help them to critically think. And this means disputing negative thoughts. And this works with sad folks too. Uh, So this one works for everybody. And I have such a great tool to help uh, help you change feelings and dispute negative thoughts. And, I, and I've done a whole podcast on it, on this easy tool to change your feelings. And I'm going to link to it in the show notes. So I don't want to spend a lot of time here on it because I've already talked about it quite a bit. You can download it uh, for free. I'm not, you know, just for free. And it's super duper helpful. So uh, I just want to strongly encourage you. Um, But, you know, when your partner judges themselves harshly, which they're likely doing, you're going to help them reframe their thinking. And it's super effective. It's uh, rational emotive therapy, it's called. It's this tool that um, was created by Albert Ellis many years ago. And I have it kind of all written out nice for you to to use. Um, And I will say this too, though, that in line with helping them dispute negative thoughts, you also can be encouraging. Just, you know, watch yourself from getting too over the top. But, you know, if if your partner's talking about feelings of hopelessness, um, be as encouraging as you can. And, you know, you can point out improvements that have been made, things they have done. You can do that. Just don't get too cheerleady. You know, if, if it's all on the other side and they don't feel permission to have these feelings of either sadness, you know, if this hard time they're having or of this depression, it it really starts to get stuck and they'll start to go underground with their feelings, which is not what you want. So, and you could say the truth too. Gosh, it's so hard to see you this way. It's really, um, you know, I love you so much. It's, I, it's hard for me to know you're in pain. I'm, you know, I'm trying to remember the times when it's been better or, you know, you can go there just... Uh, just think encouragement, not all out cheerleader. Okay. So, and this brings us actually to tip number four, which is to ask collaborative questions instead of doing everything for them. Um, So if your partner is depressed, you are walking the tightrope between helping too much and not enough. It is tough. You won't do it perfectly. You're just going to do your best. So I highly suggest, highly suggest asking collaborative questions first before doing anything, quote unquote, for them. And these questions work great if your partner is just having a hard time. So they're they're great for both. 
uh, for sure. And it's just especially if your partner is depressed, these are great to stop yourself from doing for them too much. So I know earlier in a tip, I said, hey, help them get to appointments, help them make appointments. But you can, act, and that's true, but you can actually ask these questions first to help you, um, so it can be their idea maybe, and they could ask for this help. But um, so let's, let's, dive into something. So I really just have a few because you only need a few of these. You don't need a million. So uh, if they've been depressed before, you know, and come out of it, you could say, hey, you've gotten yourself out of depression before. What was the most helpful thing you did before to feel better? That's a great one. Or, hey, you've gotten yourself out of depression before. What was the most helpful thing I did before to help you feel supported and good? You know, you see where I'm going here? So you can use a past uh, win and gently and have them think back so that they can critically think. It's very hard to critically think when you're depressed. It really is. But this is like a nice little avenue to sort of stoke those embers, <laughs> so to speak. Um, so uh, it can help them along. Another collaborative question is, if there's one thing I could do right now to help you, what would it be? If there's one thing I could do, what would it be? And that might be where they say, you could make this, you could come with me to my psychiatry appointment. You could pick up my medications this afternoon. You, they might be able to say that to you right then. And that could really help, you know, sort of grease those wheels and have you feeling like a team. Um, the biggie here is I don't want your partner to feel like they're out there alone with their depression. I want them, you know, uh, right? It's it's a we problem if your partner has it. So you really want to think of it together and how you can collabor collaboratively get somewhere because you can't fix them. I know you want to. I want to, but you can't. Uh, another thing you could say collaboratively is if I could say one thing right now, one thing that would help move the needle even a little for you, what would it be? That's a great one. I, I I usually get something good for that. You could also ask just things about their self-care. Hey, how was your eating today? Is there anything I can do to help you with healthy eating today? Something like that. Um, how was your exercise, your movement today? Is there anything I can do to help you with, uh, you know, getting out of the house, with exercising, with moving your energy, whatever? Uh, you just, you want to be careful of not sounding blaming or criticizing uh, so just, you know, really light, really loving, really gentle is the way to go. But these collaborative questions are such a great way to just help people sort of move and to be part of the we instead of this is your problem, you got to fix it kind of thing. And my number five tip, don't take it personally. If you're living with someone who's depressed, it can be so difficult not to take it personally, especially... If they're blaming you, which might be happening, your partner's depression might show up as a very negative mood, uh, constant criticism, sounding off about the hopelessness of your life together, uh, or their depression might show up as you know, those angry outbursts I talk, talked about or mood swings. All these things are symptoms, symptoms. It's not personality traits. They're symptoms of their this mental illness that they're battling, and this mental illness they're battling is lying to them. It's telling them that all these things are true. So don't believe the lies yourself. That's what's really important. As much as you can, practice compassion. Uh, remember that it's symptoms of their depression, not personality traits, not something that's uh, that you should take personally. Uh, you can only love them. That's all you can do there. So your, your job is not to take it personally. Your job is to encourage them to get the help they need. And if they won't go, 
and maybe even if they do, but especially if they won't go, then you need to get the help you need. I know, always comes back to this, doesn't it? But it does. If they refuse help, it's time for you to get the emotional support you need to draw the boundaries and to keep your emotional center grounded. you know, make sure you're living your life, you're eating healthfully, you're exercising and taking care of yourself. Make sure that's going on. You know, the old, uh, you can't fill a glass from an empty pitcher kind of thing. You becoming depressed yourself isn't going to help the situation. It's not going to help us get where we need to go. So please make sure that you're getting the support that you need. And I, I pretty much say that as a blanket statement. If you're trying to encourage someone to get into therapy of some kind and they won't go, you should likely go uh, pretty much every time. <laughs> People don't like to hear that, but it's the truth. You don't have to think about going forever, but you can at least go and get some support for a little bit, get some tools, kind of work through what's going on. Maybe just have someone that you check in with occasionally, You know that person you can come back to over and over. I will also say, as far as don't take it personally and taking care of yourself, that this is also a good time to get extra help around the house. If your partner's depressed, they're likely aren't doing their usual tasks or chores. There's likely more things added if they are getting help and medications and whatever. You know, there's all these more going around. So if money allows, I say, you know, hire people to pick up the slack so it doesn't fall on you because you just doing more and more, Can you can see, again, empty pitcher. You can't fill a glass from an empty pitcher. It's not helping us. It's not helping the combined resource of you and your partner or you and your best friend or you and your mom or anyone else. And if money is an issue, I want you to think of bartering uh, and or just asking for help. Crazy, I know. It's really funny. I always think of asking for help last. You know how I suck at that. So, you know, you can ask a friend, can you take the kids on Tuesday afternoon for the next month? You can make it time limited and then see how you're doing in a month. Um, Maybe that's what you ask so you can go to therapy on Tuesday afternoons. I don't know. You can just literally ask for the help without giving anything in return. And people will say no if they can't do it. And if they say yes and they can't do it, that's on them. You know, they're allowed to have a, they need to have a boundary and they need to learn theirs. Your job isn't to take care of them. Your job is just to ask. Uh, If you just can't bring yourself to do that, you can ask to barter something. Hey, if you take the kids on Tuesday afternoons, I'll take yours on Thursday with mine. Because what the hell? You got two kids, you got four kids or whatever. It's, you know, right? (laughs) And sometimes they can even entertain themselves like each other. They can play together and it's even easier. Who knows? But start to think about ways that you can barter or, again, ask for help straight out or or just pay for it if if that works. Because any of these will really help you in creating some semblance of normal in your own life, of grounding in your own life and keeping yourself together. Because that's really, don't take it personally and taking care of yourself should have been number one, right? The number one tip of of all this. So that's it for today. This is what to do if your partner's depressed. And I will, uh, there is also the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which I will link to in the show notes and on the blog and everywhere. If you are really worried in a moment about that, you can contact them. You can chat online. There's a phone number. I'll I'll have the link for you. Here in the United States, you can always dial 911 if you think someone is in imminent danger. You will, you know, always err on the side of caution, you know, um, always. You don't ever want to have a regret. I should have, would have, could have. You don't want to have that. So, um, you know, really be thoughtful. But again, even if you just want help for yourself and support for yourself, you can call the uh, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline and you can get 
uh, emotional support for yourself too. If you don't have insurance for some reason or whatever, feel like you can't get to a therapist, this is a great, quick, easy way with excellent um, staffed by great mental health workers to get some help and resources for yourself and or your partner. Okay. That's it for today. Thank you, thank you for spending time with me. So many of you wrote in with this question, so I'm hoping I answered everything. Uh, as always, you know, uh, send me anything, any questions you have at abby at abbymetcalf.com. You can see I answer them. I eventually get to everything, usually in some way. Uh, and that's it. Have a wonderful week, and I'll speak to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Relationships Made Easy podcast with wonderful me, Dr. Abby Metcalf. I've got two quick things to say. Just give me one more minute. First, I love spending this time with you and I work hard to make sure every single episode is going to help you move from any feelings of frustration or resentment or anxiety to that connected, hopeful, confident. That's always my goal. So if you have any ideas for a future episode or just want to say hi, let me know what the podcast is doing for you, anything, you can email me at abby at abbymedcalf.com. How simple is that? And the second thing I want to say is if you like the podcast, you're going to go crazy, crazy for my book. My book is really good. I'm really proud of it. You can find it on Amazon or on my website under the shop section on my website at abbymetcalf.com. It's called Be Happily Married Even If Your Partner Won't Do a Thing. And even if your partner will do a thing, the book will still really help you. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.